He's Hacker. He's, I'm a sausage guy. Yeah, that butcher shop with the juicy breasts. I like that. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I have always liked Florida State. And now I do realize why people don't like Florida Gator fans. So if you're going to blow it out, just blow it out. But Shad Khan, the owner, didn't see it that way. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, yeah. Can you feel it? Week 15 of the National Football League, and there is not a better way to kick it off than with Aiden O'Connell against Easton Stick. The Raiders and the Chargers. For what it's worth, this is probably an elimination game in the AFC. Both teams are probably already out, but the loser tonight will definitely be out. The winner will still be on life support. But the Raiders and the Chargers are a few of the have-nots in the AFC. There are certainly a lot of haves in the AFC, which is where I want to begin tonight on a Thursday night on Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us as, yes, week 15 kicks off in about 15 minutes. For me personally, tonight is all about the fantasy football Playoffs, And if you have Justin Herbert or Josh Jacobs or Keenan Allen, my sincerest apologies because none of those guys are playing tonight. But Devontae Adams is in the lineup, which is good news for guys like me that's been a high draft pick on Devontae Adams three months ago. Denmark in our league, you got the buy, so you're resting comfortably this week. I think if I win... This week, I might get you in the semifinals. Is yep, that correct? That's correct. Boy, that would be some serious hacker after dark bragging rights on the line there. Are you kidding me? But again, you think of the great comebacks in sports, man. You think Florida State, 31-3 in the fourth quarter, coming back to tie Florida. You think of what happened last year, right? Was it uh, the Indianapolis Colts and the Detroit Lions? Those two great comebacks that each of those teams had. The Colts coming back against the Chiefs a while back. Well, my 2-6 and six record through eight games in the 10-10XL Fantasy League, I've rattled off six in a row, ladies and gentlemen. I am on a heater as we enter the fantasy football playoffs. Enough about that. Here's what we have for you tonight on a Thursday night on Hacker After Dark. My friend Leon Searcy will join us coming up in less than 15 minutes. You get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark as we will preview Baltimore And I got to tell you, Leon had some pretty passionate thoughts about the Jaguars' home record, things along those lines. I think he'll hit a nerve with some people, which we like. So we'll have Leon seriously coming up here in less than 15 minutes. Jared Bailey of the USA Today later on in the 8 o'clock hour. I do enjoy talking ball with Jared, Jaguars, AFC South, and more. So it's all NFL, hour number one. Leon Searcy and Jarrett Bailey of the USA Today. But as we do every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No, it is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right. 
So we talk about the haves and the have-nots in the American Football Conference. Here is my thought on where we stand in the AFC right now. I don't believe there's one dominant team. We talked about this briefly earlier in the week. For basically the last 20 years, you can even maybe go back 25 years, it was Tom Brady and the Patriots, right? It was Peyton Manning and the Colts, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, and the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. To a lesser extent, you had some Phillip Rivers years in there, maybe a Lamar Jackson year in there. Uh, Peyton Manning and the Broncos, maybe a couple of years. You've always had the one or two dominant teams that going into the middle part of December with the playoffs about a month away, you said, yep, that's the team that's going to need to be beaten in the AFC. That's the team that I expect to come out of the AFC and go to the Super Bowl. I don't believe you have that this year, right? There are 11 teams in the AFC that are seven and six or better, there is not one team with a better record than 10 and three, which is where Baltimore sits coming in here on Sunday night. Buffalo, seven and six. They're getting hot. Huge win in Kansas City, but they are still ravaged by injuries on defense, man. Just ravaged. Josh Allen looks good, but again, I don't trust that Bills defense with all the injuries that they've had. Cincinnati, 7-6. and six. They don't have Joe Burrow. Jake Browning has looked fantastic in two games, here against Jacksonville and last week against Indianapolis. But do we believe Jake Browning will lead the Bengals to the promised land this year? Denver, 7-6. and six. They are maybe the hottest team in the AFC. They've won six out of seven. They were awful in the first two months. I don't buy Denver. I think they may get in because after this week, their schedule is garbage. I think they play the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Patriots after this week. They should cruise control to 10 wins. So Denver is likely to get one of those wild card spots. But again, I don't know if I buy Russell Wilson leading them on a three-game winning streak in the AFC playoffs. Houston, number eight, they're interesting, but they're very banged up right now. Tank Dell, rookie wide receiver, out for the year. The Texans' injury report is unbelievable. It's as bad as Jacksonville's, if not worse, and C.J. Stroud hasn't practiced two days in a row, which likely means he's going to miss Sundays in concussion protocol, and it will be Davis Mills traveling to Nashville to take on what all of a sudden is a hot Tennessee Titan team. And you see what the Titans are going to do this week? Houston comes in. The Titans are wearing the Houston Oiler throwbacks. Love that. That is fantastic for the Texans and the Titans coming up on Sunday. Those are the teams that currently would not be in the playoffs. Now let's talk about the teams that would currently be in the playoffs. Your seventh seed is Indianapolis. Shane Steichen deserves some credit and deserves some candidacy for coach of the year. I don't know how he's done it without Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor has missed a lot of time. Darius Leonard is now playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, they've had a lot of turnover, a lot of injuries this year. But Indianapolis at 7-6, and six, albeit impressive, does anybody really think Indy 
is going to go and win three road games in a row in the AFC playoffs. Your sixth seed right now is Pittsburgh. Same thing. How is Pittsburgh seven and six? What a terrific coaching job by Mike Tomlin. Their quarterback play has been awful basically all year. Trubisky or Pickett, Pickett or Trubisky, it hasn't mattered. It's been bad, and yet Pittsburgh would be the sixth seed right now in the AFC playoffs. Does anybody envision them winning three road games in a row? Your current five seed, Cleveland. They just beat Jacksonville. Far be it for us to talk smack about them, yet they have horrible injury problems. They lost two guys on defense, Grant Delpit being one of them, for the year in their win last Sunday over Jacksonville. And they have 38-year-old Joe Flacco. Are they going to go on the road three times in a row and win playoff games with Joe Flacco? I'm going to skip Jacksonville for a moment. I'll come back there. Your three seeds, Kansas City. They can obviously make a run. They have the best quarterback on planet Earth, but they have awful wide receivers. Awful. And they all of a sudden have injury problems too. Isaiah Pacheco is going to miss his second straight game. Kadarius Toney, who knows where he is mentally after what's transpired this year. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is making weird comments in the locker room. Uh, um, It's just weird in Kansas City. They can obviously do it with Mahomes and Reed and Kelsey and Chris Jones, but this is not the Chiefs team we've seen the last couple of years. Your two-seed is the Miami Dolphins. They just lost to a 14-point underdog at home on Monday night when they had a 14-point lead with three minutes to go. They haven't beaten anybody barely with a winning record this year. I have no confidence that Miami can rattle off three games in a row. And then Baltimore. Yeah, they're good. They're the best right now of what's out there. They're 10-3. and three. They would be the one seed. They would have home field advantage. And the fact that somebody would have to go into Baltimore to beat them in the playoffs would certainly help them. But when you watch Baltimore, do they look like a dominant team? 37-31 over the Rams last week. Rams put up 300-plus passing yards, three touchdowns. I mean, I look at Baltimore, right? You look basically in the last three games. 20-10 over the Chargers. 34-20 over Cincy. That was the game Burrow got hurt in. They lost to Cleveland 33-31. They beat Arizona earlier in the year, 31-24. The London game against Tennessee, they won 24-16. Look, they're winning games, but am I going to go as far as to call them dominant? No. They are the most dominant of the AFC teams right now, but I'm not scared by Baltimore. I'm a little interested that somebody's going to have to go into their house and beat them most likely, but I think it certainly can be done. And I say all of that for the last seven minutes to get back to the Jaguars. Man, it's right there. It's right there. Now, the Jaguars are leaking oil. There's no question about that. There's no sugarcoating that. You can't lose to Jake Browning and to Joe Flacco in back-to-back weeks and say all is right with the world. They are certainly leaking oil. But I just named you the 11 AFC teams that are 7-6 and or better. On any given Sunday, regular season or playoffs, Jacksonville can beat any of these guys. I mean, are you kidding me? Again, go down the list. Jacksonville, Buffalo. Jacksonville's already beat them. Jacksonville, Cincinnati. I'd love to play those guys again. 
Jacksonville, Denver, I would take the Jaguars. Jacksonville, Houston, I would take Jacksonville. Jacksonville and Indianapolis, Jacksonville's already swept them. Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, Jacksonville went up to Heinz Field or whatever they call that thing now and beat them. Jacksonville, Cleveland, I would take my chances having Cleveland coming in here for a playoff game. Jacksonville, Kansas City, I would pick the Chiefs, but it's not like Jacksonville can't do it. Jacksonville, Miami, I would take the Jags. I think Jacksonville is every bit as good as Miami with a much more experienced head coach. And then Jacksonville, Baltimore, we'll find out on Sunday. 11 teams battling for seven spots. The AFC playoffs are as wide open as they have been in years. Years. Do I want the number one seed? Yes. Is that going to happen? No. The only reason I want it is for the bye. Home field doesn't seem to mean very much here in Duval County. The Jaguars are two and four at home. But clearly, Jacksonville can beat any team, and on the flip side, any of these teams can beat Jacksonville. That's the way the AFC is. It is going to be fascinating to see how it plays out because for the first time in a long time, there is not going to be an overwhelming favorite when the AFC playoffs arrive in one month. 641-1010 is the phone number on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Your thoughts are welcome. Coming up at the bottom of the 8 o'clock hour, Jared Bailey of the USA Today, talking Jags, AFC South, and more. Coming up next, my buddy Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl, offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Let's preview Baltimore. Let's talk about some of the issues facing this Jaguar football team. Leon Searcy next, Hacker After Dark on a Thursday night in Jacksonville. We're glad you are with us. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Ravens. Sunday night, Baltimore comes in as an AFC best 10-3. Jacksonville at 8-5, certainly looking to get back on the winning track. With all that being said, let me welcome in my friend Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, bro. Leon, you and I talked in the fifth quarter on Sunday. You've now had a few days to analyze where the Jaguars are. Your thoughts on the loss to Cleveland and where they stand overall, 8-5 and five through 13 games. Well, I mean, um, I mean, the loss in Cleveland was unfortunate. Um, I mean, we were, de- we were dealing with a situation where we had a hampered quarterback. You know, Trevor was, I mean, he did play in the game, but he, he still had pressing issues coming coming from the game from last week when he hurt his ankle. But uh, I love the grit of the kid to come back. I mean, coming back from a high ankle sprain within one week, you know, that's that's a lot of determination and gut. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to – Trevor wasn't 100%. Uh, but no one cares. I mean, I think this team has to get over the fact that, yes, you have injuries uh, at, at the offensive line. You got injuries with your quarterback. You got injuries with uh, uh, Christian Kirk uh, being out on IR. You got injuries with tra- uh, Travis Atien with the ribs and all other kind of stuff. But no one cares outside of Jacksonville. This is what this team has to get over. No one cares. You just got to find a way to win a freaking football game. Just one. We're not asking about the next four games. All we're asking is that you got to find a way on Sunday night in the bank in Duval and win a freaking football game. 
collectively. That's what you got to do. I'm talking about in all aspects of the game, offense, defense, special teams. Just find a freaking way to win a football game because no one believes that you can. Absolutely no one outside of Duval believes that you can get it done, and you've got to get it done. These games are all very important. They're like precious metal. Every week, you've got to find a way to win a freaking football game, and it starts with the Baltimore Ravens. And I'm going to see how this team is going to respond. Uh, you know, are, you know, are they going to are they going to pout and you know moan and groan about you know you know the unfortunate things that have happened to them injury wise, or are they going to buck up and find a way to win a freaking football game? Leon, do you believe there are? I won't say. I mean, I guess issues is the right word. I don't think it's anything personal, but Calvin Ridley and Trevor Lawrence did not seem to be on the same page last week with a couple of those interceptions. Do you believe there are chemistry issues there? Well, if, they, if, listen, if they're not on the right page in week 15, it's both their faults uh, because that's that's just called professionalism. I mean, this, some, this, this thing should have been rectified, you know, 10 weeks ago. You can't tell me going into week 15 that Trevor Lawrence and Calvin really have got communication problems. You know what you do? You sit in that meeting room. Either Trevor goes in the wide receiver meeting room or Calvin really goes in the quarterback's meeting room and you rectify it. You make sure you don't have those kind of mistakes anymore because those kind of mistakes cost you ball games. You're talking about two of the premier guys on our offense and they've got communication issues. you got to be kidding me. I Listen, in all my years I played for the Jaguars, I've never – heard Jimmy and Mark Brunel have communication issues in all the four years that I played with them. You know why? Because they was on the same page. They were in sync. They wouldn't allow it. It's called professionalism. Get it done. You get Leon Searcy every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, that brings me to your former position, the offensive line. Look, injuries are part of the game, but injuries have annihilated the left side of that line cam robinson on ir we'll have to wait and see where walker little is this week we'll have to wait and see where ezra cleveland is this week it could potentially be blake hans who is essentially your fourth left tackle the ironic thing leon is that fortner sheriff and harrison have been pretty cohesive from center to right tackle yet the left side has been obliterated with injuries how much is that affecting how this offense is performing well, I mean, it, it is. I mean, it is unfortunate, uh, but they got to suck it up. I mean, like I said earlier when we were talking, had no one cares. No one cares outside of Duval that they've got issues. You got to whoever steps in is going to be whoever's going to be left guard, whoever's going to be left tackle. Okay, that's what we're going to ride with. And whoever we ride with, you got to make sure whoever we ride with comes to work prepared, ready to work in sync, watching film, working on this technique, fundamentals, because we're trying to win a ball game. Yeah, we get, yeah, we're patchwork right now, the offensive line. But you think the Ravens going to care that, you know, we, we got issues on the left side? No, they're going to try to expose the issues on the left side. You've got to make sure that they don't expose it. you got to make sure those guys on that left side play like they've been perennial pro bowlers or perennial starters for their whole career, no matter who it is out there. We're trying to win a freaking ball game. Whatever bodies are out there that are going to play Sunday night, they got to get it done. Could be no excuses. You step foot on the bank on that field, 8.20 p.m. on Sunday, there can be no excuses. You got to get it done, regardless. Regardless. That, that just, that's just my take on it. 
I appreciate the mindset. Hopefully it's the mindset they have. One of the issues, though, and you and I talked about this last week, is the running game or the lack of running game. Uh, they they were good running the ball, Leon, the first you know two months of the year. It has really come down in the last couple of weeks. I guess the O-line does have a issue with that with the injuries. Like you said, nobody cares. But they got to figure out how to get this running game restarted. How do they go about doing that? Well, I'm running the football is a mindset, heck. It's an attitude. I mean, it, it really is. You you've got to have you have to have it set in your mind weeks, uh, uh, days before the game, that you're going to run the football. Collectively, as an offensive line, you've got to say, if we can't run the ball, we can't win. That's got to be the mindset. And and I've seen the offensive coordinator call plays to kind of get the offensive lines started, but then you can't have tackles for losses. You can't have penetrations. You can't have missed assignments. You can't have guys ducking their head and guys getting around them and making plays. That can't happen because now you're second and 12 or you're second and 15 or you you, uh, you run the ball again, you're third and long. I mean, that that, that is, that is uh, disruptive to any offensive coordinator's game plan when you're losing yards. And that's all on the old line. That's just a matter of being tough. Your man don't win. Your man don't make a play. You win. That's that's got to be the sentiment across the whole offensive line, from the left tackle to the right tackle. I beat my man. We win. That's the bottom line. And I don't see enough of that. I don't see enough of flat backs, guys coming off the ball. I see the guys standing straight up trying to position block guys. That's not going to work in the NFL. You've got to come off the ball. You've got to be flat back. You got to take the proper steps, the hands, the feet, and everything, and you got to set the tempo for the bird. But you got to make it a physical, physical ball game, whether the guy your opponent wants one or not. I mean, I just like to see this offensive line just get a lot a tougher and meaner because right now the sentiment of the Jacksonville offensive line, the inability to run the football, they're being called a finesse offense. No offensive line wants to be called finesse. Until you're able to run the ball in a more consistent nature, that's who you are. Finesse, borderline, S-O-F-T. Oh, jeez. Yeah, look, that's the that's the narrative out there. There's no question about it. A couple of more for former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle, Leon Searcy. Leon, let's book, look big picture. There are some positives. Let's get to a couple of negatives first. They got to win a game at home, man. This is their fourth, what I would call, national showcase game at home this year. They're over. They lost to Kansas City. They got embarrassed by San Francisco. They lose to Cincinnati on Monday night. Now you got Baltimore rolling in. They're staring two and five at home in the face if they lose this game. You're supposed to be good at home, Leon. The Jaguars have not been. Hack is an embarrassment, to be quite honest with you. It's a freaking embarrassment. Uh uh, to be losing big games at home. When the lights are brightest, this team comes up short. When it's time to shine, they dim the lights. That's that's what's troubling to me. Because what what what, what is the purpose of getting in the playoffs, winning the division, and having a home game where you don't play well at home? That doesn't make any sense. So I mean, I mean, we're talking. This is prime time. We had you. Know, we had to wait so many years to get in the positions that we've gotten in over the last three weeks, Monday night football, Sunday night football. I mean, it's taken us over a decade to get the opportunity to get in a position where we play in these games and, and our team comes up short and our team doesn't play well. 
I mean, that that's just unfortunate. It's, it's an embarrassment to be to be quite honest with you. I mean, you suppose I, I in my, all my years of playing football, you you took pride in playing at home. You took pride in representing your fans and your city or your county or whatever it may be. And this team has come up short. So, um, what are they going to do? Uh, you, you, all you got to do is find a way to win one game. That's it. All their inform- all their energy should be on beating the Ravens at all costs. And I, and I, right now, what I've seen over the last couple of weeks and them playing in primetime games, they've come up short. So what is, what's to make me believe there's going to be anything different come Sunday night? I'm certainly not picking them to win. I said that at the beginning of the week. I'm not going to pick them to win a big home game until they actually do. They're going to have to prove me wrong. On a positive, though, Leon, look, you take a deep breath and you evaluate where you are. They're still the overwhelming favorite in the division. Based on tiebreakers and everything, they essentially have a two-game lead on Indy, a game-and-a-half lead on Houston. Houston now has a lot of injury problems. The sky is not falling. If they just refocus themselves and get back to what they were doing, they should clearly have no problems winning this division. I, I agree. I agree. I mean, um, I, I've never been one to worry about what others do. Uh, even when I played with the Steelers or I played with the Jaguars, I knew if our game was tight, then we had no competition as far as going, as far as the division went. And, you know, we played, the, you know, back in those days, we played in a division with the Ravens, the Steelers and Titans. So I knew that if we took care of our business, no matter what they were doing, we were going to be good. So I think the Jaguars need to focus on them, focus on what you need to do right in this four-game stretch to make sure that you come in as clean and ready to roll in the playoffs. Because right now, Hack, they are leaking serious oil right now. They are leaking oil going into these last four games. Yeah, they've scored points. Yeah, they've, they have scored points in the last two games, but defensively, we suck. We've sucked defensively, giving up big plays, breakdowns and coverage, can't get can't can't get any pressure on the quarterback. I mean, we lo- we lost to Jake Buster Brown and flipping Flacco. <laughs> the, the last two weeks, bro. And now Lamar come Jackson on. comes in. Exactly. So I mean, they've got to get this stuff together, bro, because I tell you this, I nicknamed him L Boogie for a reason. L Boogie can beat you with his arm and beat you with his legs. So they're going to have to be prepared. You give him the time that you've been given the last two quarterbacks over the last two weeks, it's going to light you up. Leon, as we wrap up, the one thing, again, Leon seriously here with us, the one thing that is really interesting, look, and you can go back 25 years basically, Brady and the Patriots, Manning and the Colts, Big Ben in Pittsburgh, uh, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, you had a you know a Joe Flacco Baltimore every once in a while, Philip Rivers San Diego every once in a while, a dominant team, right? And in the AFC this year, Leon, boy, Miami I thought was exposed Monday night. Kansas City is clearly not what they have been. Jacksonville has fallen back down to earth. Cleveland's got injury problems. Cincinnati's got injury problems. Buffalo is getting better, but they still have problems on defense. Baltimore, I guess, is the most dominant, yet they struggled with a middle-of-the-pack Rams team last week at home. The AFC is absolutely wide open. 
maybe more so this year than it's been in a long time. Yeah, yeah, that's what frustrates frustrates me so much about Jacksonville because they're that they, anybody in the AFC can get beat. All right, I mean, there used to be a time where you we talked about it on the fifth quarter. This was the Kansas City Chief Invitational. All right, they were the bouncer that used to kick you out the club. Every you knew that if you wanted to get to the Super Bowl, that you had to go through KC. That's not the case anymore. KC is is they licking on like us. They got issues with their wide receivers lining up, dropping balls. You know, you got Patrick Mahomes throwing temper tangers, all that kind of stuff. So the, they're exposed a little bit. Like you said, the Ravens seem to be the class of the AFC. But hell, I just I watched the game a couple of weeks ago where the Steelers beat them. Huh? I mean, come on now. I mean, I, that's the up and down. That's the disparity of the AFC right now. And and if Jacksonville would just get his ink together, they have a shot. It's why, like you said, the door to Vegas is wide open. And if Jacksonville could just get his stuff together. And ride this, ride this, ride this um, uh, train on in, not leaking oil and playing some good football. Come January, man, they 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 got as good a shot as anybody else. It's it's like a dice game. They can they can roll sevens, or they can crap out. That's one. They they got they got to make a decision. It starts right now. Come Sunday night against the Ravens. Yeah, it's going to be a four-game sprint to the finish, no question, regardless of what happens, Baltimore and Jacksonville. Leon, Coach Campo, and myself, we're going to go late into the night, early into Monday morning. We will have a fifth quarter two hours after the Jaguars and the Ravens go final. Leon, I've already said I'm picking Baltimore, and I'm picking Baltimore because I'm not picking Jacksonville to win another important home game until they do. They've let me down three times. Do you think Jacksonville gets over the top Sunday night? No, I don't. I'm, I'm with you, Hat. I'm not picking them till they show me. I think the Ravens are going to win 27-21. Mm-hmm. And I hope we're wrong, and I hope we're celebrating on the fifth quarter. Leon, appreciate it, my friend. I will see you very early Monday morning. You got it. There you go. You get Leon Searcy every day on primetime. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. And look, Leon and I would both love to be wrong. But, I mean, clearly Jacksonville has not shown the capability of winning a big home game this year. Can they finally do it on Sunday against the AFC's current number one seed in the Baltimore Ravens? Week 15 of the National Football League is already underway. Raiders and Chargers, this is the NFL for you. The Raiders lose 3-0 last week to Minnesota. They take their opening offensive drive, drive right down the field, and punch it in for a touchdown. Uh, Raiders 7, Chargers nothing. Let's see, about five minutes to go in the first quarter as the Raiders 7-0. Again, both teams at 5-8. and eight. Both teams likely out of the playoffs anyway. The winner of this game still has something to play for, I suppose the loser of this game, can start thinking about the offseason. We're not thinking about the offseason here in Jacksonville. We're thinking about a big one on Sunday against Baltimore. But you look around the division, Houston goes to Tennessee. C.J. Stroud hasn't practiced in the last two days. He's in concussion protocol. Tennessee feeling pretty good about themselves after Monday night. You also have a situation 
up in Indianapolis where they play Pittsburgh, two seven and six teams in what is a huge game in the AFC to keep your playoff hopes alive on Saturday. Let's talk Jags, let's talk AFC South, and let's look around the AFC as a whole with Jared Bailey. USA Today does a terrific job covering the National Football League, and he joins us next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday night here in Jacksonville. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Ravens Sunday night. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Baltimore comes in at 10-3. and three. Jacksonville comes in at 8-5. and five. Let's talk about the game. Let's also look at what is a jumbled mess right now in the AFC playoff picture with Jared Bailey of the USA Today. He also does some work for uh, behind the steel curtain with the Steelers. We'll tell you about that as well. Jared, how we doing? I'm doing well, man. Good to be back on with you. Hey, Jared, always appreciate the time. Before we get started, USA Today, and I know you do some work with Pittsburgh as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, deputy editor for uh, Behind the Steel Curtain at SB Nation. Uh, so any Steelers fans, any work that you want to see done, we've done so much work over there this season. And um, in terms of, you know, the, the people that are reading, we've broke records each month over the past two months. So we appreciate everybody for reading uh, all the Steelers content from that side as well. Yeah, Steelers, one of 11 teams in the AFC right now that are 7-6 and six or better. Two of those teams also include Jacksonville and Baltimore. Jarrett, let's start there. Uh, first to the Jaguars. Last time you and I talked, the Jaguars were riding a five-game winning streak and things were going great. They're 2-3 and three in their last five, and injuries have certainly caught up with the Jags. What's your thought on Jacksonville at 8-5 and five right now? Yeah, I mean, right now the biggest thing that sticks out to me is their pass defense isn't good. Um, the past two weeks, Jake Browning and Joe Flacco have looked like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, and that's a problem where, you know, the touchdown pass to Jamar Chase, like they put a, they put a, a corner on him one-on-one that was marginally smaller, didn't really have a whole ton of safety help over the top, and just said, yep, that'll do, and they got bit because of it. So, and not only that, a lot of miscommunications on the back end. Like if you look at uh, the Njoku touchdown, the first of the game against Cleveland, you roll the tape, there's nobody within 15 yards of him. So miscommunications on the back end, weird position alignments and, and scheming issues that are just leading to big splash plays. And really, like they don't have any stars on the back end. I mean, I, we talked before the season started and, and how that could end up being an issue for them is that, you know, they've got guys that are going to play hard. But at the end of the day, they need they need a splash guy, and they don't really have that right now outside of Cisco, and you know that's led to to issues that we've seen over the past couple of weeks, where Jake Browning lights up the stat sheet for going what 32 of 37, I think Jake Browning was, and then Joe Flacco throws three touchdowns after being on the couch for the first 10 weeks of the season. Like those things are things that are going to come back to haunt them, and. In terms of, you know, we talk about Jacksonville and the AFC and whatnot and where their positioning is and how legitimate of a Super Bowl threat they are. Well, I mean, if you face Miami in the playoffs and they're at full strength and your pass defense isn't good, Tyreek and Jalen Waddle are going to have a field day. If you face Kansas City again, who you already lost to, where you got to worry about Travis Kelsey and everybody, and you face them in the playoffs last year and Kelsey had 14 catches, like – these are obvious issues on the defensive side of the ball that need addressed. And offensively, like we haven't seen Calvin Ridley be that, you know, that 
big addition consistently enough. Christian Kirk now dealing with an injury. Zay Jones isn't exactly, you know, the predominant number two guy that you would like to have. So there, there's issues right now all over the place. Now, Trevor Lawrence can do the best that he can to mask those issues because he's good enough to do that. But when, when you look at the pass defense and now the lack of pass catching depth, that's uh, this is the worst time of the season to have those issues kind of come to light. Yeah, there's no question. Jared Bailey of the USA Today here with us. And, and look, the Jaguars have flaws, no question. The one thing that I will say, if I'm looking for any silver lining, Jacksonville was terrible on Sunday against Cleveland. They were awful. I mean, they turned the ball over four times. As you said, Njoku could have fair caught two touchdowns. I mean, miscommunications all over the place. And having said that, Jared, it was 31-27 with an onside kick with a minute 40 to go. Uh, So if there is any silver lining in in that the Jaguars played awful, and yet on the road where Cleveland was 5-1 and and now 6-1, and they kept it a ball game up until uh, 90 seconds to go in the game. And that's the thing. Whenever you've got number 16 under center, even when he's not at 100%, even when there's miscommunications on offense as well that leads to turnovers, you're still in the game. And that is, if there is any silver lining, having a great quarterback can mask a lot of things. And Jacksonville has the benefit of finally having one where, you know, if you got Trevor Lawrence, you've got a chance. Um, and you look at, you know, the, the interceptions that he did throw, like Martin Emerson just had a really good game for Cleveland. Um, uh, there was one in which Trevor overthrew, I think it was Ridley on one of the interceptions. Um, and then the other one was a miscommunication on a, a slant on uh, inbreaker with Ridley, where he threw it behind him thinking that Ridley would stop. So it's just little things like that, that could have made or break made or broken the game. Um, you know, one of those was, uh, in good scoring position too. So, if that interception doesn't take place, if the communication's a little bit better, they might come away with points there. They might score a touchdown. And we're talking about, you know, Trevor Lawrence overcoming two interceptions and winning a game on a sprained ankle. And we're having a, a very different conversation. So I, I ultimately think they'll be fine, especially when you look at the rest of the division where, you know, Indy uh, just lost to Cincinnati. Uh, Houston's fun, but they're also dealing with uh, Tank Dell no longer being there. So and they just lost to the Jets. So they're still gonna win the AFC South, if I had to guess right now. They're still gonna host a playoff game. They can probably win that playoff game, and you know we'll see how far they can go. Um, but those are you know obvious issues that do need addressed before we get to that point. Jared Baltimore comes in here on Sunday, and of all the teams in the AFC, they're the ones to this point to not show very many flaws. I think you can look at Miami, Kansas City, Jacksonville, on down the line, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Cleveland, you name it, there are flaws, there are issues. With Baltimore, they're good. I mean, I watched them on Sunday against the Rams, and the Rams are a good NFC team, an average NFC team, and I was not impressed with the Baltimore defense. Now, the offense was spectacular. Special teams was very good. But I do wonder about this Raven defense moving in uh, to the latter stages of the regular season. I think it'll be a very interesting game for Jacksonville to gauge where they are against Baltimore on Sunday night. Yeah, I think it will, too. Um, in terms of the defense, you've got to give credit to uh, Sean McVay and the Rams offense and Matthew Stafford for having their best game of the season offensively. Um, in terms of Baltimore offensively, um, when we talk about the elite of the AFC and whatnot, I talked about this on my podcast, The Pump Fake, this past week, you know, in terms of teams that, you know, they're probably going to make the playoffs. They might win a playoff game. I don't see Baltimore as a Super Bowl contender. Like, Lamar Jackson's great. We know how good of a coach Harbaugh is and whatnot. But what are the, who are their weapons? Like, I don't, 
I like Zay Flowers, but if he's your predominant weapon and you're, you know, leaning on him heavily to defeat Kansas City, if Buffalo gets in, Miami, like you got to do better than that. And who's your number two? Is it going to be Odell Beckham at this point in his career who has had a few flashes, but he hasn't been like a legitimate top tier receiver in quite some time, probably since his final year with the Giants. So I don't think that they have the horses offensively to compete with uh, a team like a Miami if they face them. I don't, if I'm a Kansas City, like the Chiefs defense is far too good for any of the, the, the Ravens weapons to really excel. So they don't worry me against Kansas City. I think that this will be a good test for the Jaguars defense just to see how they can stack up against this, you know, more than subpar uh, skill position group of Baltimore. Uh, defensively, they've had a really good season. Um, Mike McDonald has made the absolute most of this defensive core. Uh, and they don't really have, they don't have stars on that side of the ball really either outside of Roquan Smith. Like Justin Matabike has had a breakout season and he's about to get paid. Um, they've utilized guys like Kyle Van Noy, who they signed this season. Uh, Jadeveon Clowney has been a big part. Of it. So like they don't have like big game breaking names per se, but they're getting the most out of the personnel that they have. And that's a credit to Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator. Um, for Jacksonville, this feels like a game that they really need to win to avoid losing three straight. And for Baltimore, I mean, they're coming off a high of winning on a pump return in overtime. They're sitting at 10-3. and three. I do think that Jacksonville wins simply because of, you know, somewhat of a desperation factor. Not, not that if they lose that their season's done. Obviously, that's not the case. But you don't want to lose three straight in December, you know, when, when you're gearing up for a playoff run. So I think that we're going to see the very best of Jacksonville. And I do think that, you know, we're going to see – their defenders, you know, especially the guys in the front seven that they really count on, you know, if you can get pressure on Lamar Jackson, if you can force mistakes, which we've seen teams that are capable of doing. We saw the Colts do it earlier this season. Um, if you can get pressure on Lamar, if you can force them to make mistakes, then your chances get exponentially higher of winning. And I think that Jacksonville can do that. Jared Bailey of the USA Today. Jaguar fans will love to hear that. I got to tell you. I'm not going to pick Jacksonville to win a primetime home game again until they do it because they lost to San Francisco. They lost a national showcase game to KC. They got embarrassed by Cincinnati. They're over in the, quote, showcase home games this year. You got another one against Baltimore. They got to prove it to me before I'll pick them again. Let me do a broad AFC talk with you, Jarrett. All right, so right now, and it's been this way now for a few weeks, Baltimore, Miami, Kansas City, Jacksonville are the division leaders. Is mm -hmm. there a scenario right now where you think one or two of those four will not win their division when all is said and done? I think the Miami is the one that strikes me as the one that's most likely to not win the division out of all of them. Um, I mean, first of all, how about the collapse that we just saw from the Dolphins against Tennessee? That was certainly something. Um and now, like, you can look at that as a Dolphins fan and say, oh, man, that's one that got away. But, you know, we're still sitting at the top of the division. Well, guess what? You got games against Dallas and Baltimore uh, in two of the next three weeks. Dallas and Baltimore back-to-back. -back. They have the Jets this coming week, which is a game that they should win. But then it's the Cowboys and the Ravens. If you drop both of those games and Buffalo continues to run the table, guess what? Week 18 in Miami against the Bills is for the division. So the, that is a very real case scenario that takes place. Uh, if you're if you're the Miami Dolphins, even if they only um, even if they only lose, like, let's say that they beat Dallas, beat the Jets, but lose to Baltimore. Well, you have five losses now. And if the Bills keep winning, they have six. 
then you lose the tiebreaker in the division. So their margin for error just got much smaller and they're going to need some help from the Cowboys and they're going to have to rely on a Chargers team that's going to be starting Easton Stick to beat uh, uh, the Bills. And they ho- have to hope that Bailey Zappi can beat the Bills in that case too, which I don't think that that, that that's going to happen. So the margin for error for Miami just got much smaller because they couldn't hold a 14-point lead with less than three minutes left against a bad Titans team. And that could be... Uh, a game that really comes back to bite them in the butt. And if that does happen, then we could see Bill's Dolphins in consecutive weeks in week 18 and the wild card round, except instead of being in Miami, it'll be in Buffalo for the wild card round. And we know how good Josh Allen is against the Dolphins in Buffalo. So there's in terms of like all the scenarios where we could see one of the division leaders not end up winning the division. I think that's the most likely one to happen because you look at the AFC North the Steelers aren't good. The Browns are fun. Like, I enjoy what the Browns are doing, but I don't think they're going to be good enough to catch Baltimore. Jake Browning is also a very fun story. Don't think Cincinnati's catching Baltimore. Um, for, like, as good as uh, th- this run that the Broncos have been on, like, I don't think that there's enough power there for them to catch Denver either, or to catch Kansas City, even though they're only a game back. Um, I do think that Kansas City will, you know, kind of get their collective stuff together and still win the division. So, and then in the AAC South, I already talked about it, like, I don't think that Gardner Minshew is going to power the Colts to uh, to an AFC South title. Um, and I think that the loss of Tank Dell really hurts the Texans offense and chances of getting that done as well. So uh, I think Miami and the AFC East is the one to look at where they could, uh, I don't want to say crumble, but, you know, could end up, you know, having one of those costly losses that ends up biting them in the butt. And rather than hosting a wild card game, they have to travel on the road to a place that they haven't really been successful in the past half decade or so. And that could really turn the events of their season. Final moments, Jared Bailey, USA Today. So if we assume right now that the four division leaders are at least safe for playoff spots, that's Jacksonville, KC, Miami, and Baltimore, that leaves three spots up for grabs for seven teams that are all either seven and six or eight and five, which is insane. Who do you think at this point are the three best non-division winners that will get in? Um, in terms of what I think will happen in the wild card, I mean, Cleveland has eight wins right now and they're playing really well. Like Joe Flacco's come in and they've, they're playing the best offensive football they've played all year. So I think that Cleveland gets a wild card spot. I do think that Buffalo gets in. Um, beating Kansas City really just put a lot of life back into their playoff odds. And I just ran down the quarterbacks that they're going to be playing. Yes, they played Dallas this week. Um, That's a game that I think that they can and will win at home. And then you face Easton Stick and Bailey Zappi in the next two weeks. And then if they can get to, to 10 wins, I think that they're a pretty solid bet to at least get one of these spots. Um, and then it really comes down to, okay, is Denver going to keep rolling and be able to get to nine or 10? Uh, I don't think it's going to be Pittsburgh simply because I just think that the morale in Pittsburgh is just way too low right now in terms of the locker room, all the chaos of this season, veterans calling out uh, young players. Like it's just a complete total mess with the Steelers right now. So I don't think they end up getting in. If I had to say anybody for that seventh seed right now, I'd probably say Denver just because I trust Sean Payton and Russell Wilson more than I would trust a Jake Browning to keep doing this or more than I trust a Gardner Minshew to keep the, to keep the, the Colts season alive. I think Houston is also um, a team to watch for. So I think it'll come down to Houston and Denver. And if that's the case then Houston would get in, I, I believe over having the conference record and tiebreaker. So uh, my, if I had to bet now, I say Cleveland, Buffalo 
and then hesitantly <laughs> picking between the Texans and Broncos, I would say Houston. It's going to be a wild finish, no question about it. Hard to believe we still have a month to go in the regular yeah. season. There is a ton of football left. Jared Bailey of the USA Today. Jared, if I don't talk to you beforehand, have a happy holidays, happy new year, and I'm sure we'll be dialing your phone closer to playoff time. Hey, same to you, man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. That's right. With you till 10 o'clock tonight, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Boy, we got a blowout Thursday night football. Raiders 21-0 over the Chargers. Brandon Staley at this rate might get fired tomorrow. The Chargers are pathetic right now. Zamir White, a one-yard touchdown. Tell me if you had Trey Tucker in your fantasy lineup tonight. He caught a touchdown for the Raiders, as did Jacoby Myers. We're early in the second quarter. Raiders 21, Chargers nothing. Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. will stop by at the bottom of the hour. Coming up next, Mike Huguenin. I call him a college football encyclopedia, man. He's covered college football for years. Quickly, Denmark, we got like 60 seconds. Florida State media fans, they've had their say, right? They're upset. They've gotten it all out. But the reality is they're not in the playoff. All of this talk about lawsuits and Congress getting involved and demanding the Orange Bowl all of a sudden become a playoff game this year, this isn't doing them any good, right? It's becoming overkill at this point, correct? I don't think it matters. It's just media talk. I don't think it – it was like, remember the Saints a couple of years ago with that bad PI call and they wanted to take it to Supreme Court? And yeah, they happened? actually got an NFL rule changed because of that call. Yeah, yeah, though. but that didn't affect the game. Remember, they wanted to do this and that, like replay the last couple minutes of the game. Like, it it is what it is. It's it's over. I'm over it. Moved on. Play the Orange Bowl. Whoever's playing's playing. It's a shame the Orange Bowl is going to be two teams that we cover that have a combined 25 and one record. That I'm not sure if anybody even cares about the game. Georgia and Florida State. Coming up at the end of the month. We'll talk college football. We'll talk transfer portal. We'll talk Florida and Florida State as well. Mike Huguenin's covered the game for years. He joins us next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Ravens Sunday night. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Baltimore comes in at 10-3. and three. Jacksonville comes in at 8-5. and five. Let's talk about the game. Let's also look at what is a jumbled mess right now in the AFC playoff picture with Jared Bailey of the USA Today. He also does some work for uh, behind the steel curtain with the Steelers. We'll tell you about that as well. Jared, how we doing? I'm doing well, man. Good to be back on with you. Hey, Jared, always appreciate the time. Before we get started, USA Today, and I know you do some work with Pittsburgh as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, deputy editor for uh, Behind the Steel Curtain at SB Nation. Uh, so any Steelers fans, any uh, work that you want to see done, we've done so much work over there this season. And um, in terms of, you know, the, the people that are reading, we've broke records each month over the past two months. So we appreciate everybody for reading uh, all the Steelers content from that side as well. Yeah, Steelers, one of 11 teams in the AFC right now that are seven and six or better. Two of those teams also include Jacksonville and Baltimore. Jared, let's start there. Uh, first to the Jaguars. Last time you and I talked, the Jaguars were riding a five-game winning streak and things were going great. 
They're two and three in their last five, and injuries have certainly caught up with the Jags. What's your thought on Jacksonville at eight and five right now? Yeah, I mean, right now the biggest thing that sticks out to me is their pass defense isn't good. Um, the past two weeks, Jake Browning and Joe Flacco have looked like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, and that's a problem where, you know, the touchdown pass to Jamar Chase, like they put a, they could put a corner on him one-on-one that was marginally smaller, didn't really have a whole ton of safety help over the top, and just said, yep, that'll do, and they got bit because of it. So, And not only that, a lot of miscommunications on the back end. Like If you look at uh, the Njoku touchdown, the first of the game against Cleveland, you roll a tape, there's nobody within 15 yards of him. So miscommunications on the back end weird position alignments and and scheming issues that are just leading to big splash plays and really like they don't have any stars in the back and I mean I, we talked before the season started and, and how that could end up being an issue for them is that you know they've got guys that are going to play hard but at the end of the day they need they need a splash guy and they don't really have that right now outside of Cisco and you know that's led to to issues that we've seen over the past couple of weeks, where Jake Browning lights up the stat sheet for going what thirty two of thirty seven, I think Jake Browning was, and then Joe Flacco throws three touchdowns after being on the couch for the first ten weeks of the season. Like those things are things that are going to come back to haunt them. And in terms of you know we talk about Jacksonville and the AFC and whatnot, and where their positioning is and how legitimate of a Super Bowl threat they are. Well, I mean if you face Miami in the playoffs, and they're at full strength, and your pass defense isn't good. Tyreek and Jalen Waddle are going to have a field day. If you face Kansas City again, who you already lost to, where you got to worry about Travis Kelsey and everybody, and you face them in the playoffs last year, and Kelsey had 14 catches. Like these are obvious issues on the defensive side of the ball that need addressed. And offensively, like we haven't seen Calvin Ridley be that, you know, that big addition consistently enough christian kirk now dealing with an injury zay jones isn't exactly you know the predominant number two guy that you would like to have so there there's issues right now all over the place now trevor lawrence can do the best that he can to mask those issues because he's good enough to do that but when you when you look at the past defense and now the lack of pass catching depth that's uh this is the worst time of the season to have those issues kind of come to light yeah there's no question jared bailey of the usa today here with us and look the Jaguars have flaws no question the one thing that I will say if I'm looking for any silver lining Jacksonville was terrible on Sunday against Cleveland they were awful I mean they turned the ball over four times as you said Njoku could have fair caught two touchdowns I mean miscommunications all over the place and having said that Jared it was 31-27 with an onside kick with a minute 40 to go Uh, so if there is any silver lining in, in that the Jaguars played awful and yet on the road where Cleveland was 5-1 and one and now 6-1, and one, they kept it a ball game up until 90 seconds to go in the game. And that's the thing. Whenever you've got number 16 under center, even when he's not at 100%, even when there's miscommunications on offense as well that leads to turnovers, you're still in the game. And that is, if there is any silver lining, having a great quarterback can mask a lot of things. And Jacksonville has the benefit of finally having one where, you know, if you got Trevor Lawrence, you've got a chance. Um, and you look at, you know, the, the interceptions that he did throw, like Martin Emerson just had a really good game for Cleveland. Um, uh, there was one in which Trevor overthrew, I think it was Ridley on one of the interceptions. Um, then the other one was a miscommunication on a, a slant, on uh, an inbreaker with Ridley where he threw it behind him thinking that Ridley would stop. So it's just little things like that, that could have made or break made or broken the game. Um, you know, one of those was, uh, in good scoring position too. So 
if that interception doesn't take place, if the communication's a little bit better, they might come away with points there. They might score a touchdown. And we're talking about, you know, Trevor Lawrence overcoming two interceptions and winning a game on a sprained ankle. And we're having a, a very different conversation. So I, I ultimately think they'll be fine, especially when you look at the rest of the division where, you know, Indy uh, just lost to Cincinnati. Uh, Houston's fun, but they're also dealing with uh, Tank Dell no longer being there. So, and they just lost to the Jets. So they're still going to win the AFC South, if I had to guess right now. They're still going to host a playoff game. They can probably win that playoff game. And, you know, we'll see how far they can go. Um, But those are, you know, obvious issues that do need addressed before we get to that point. Jared, Baltimore comes in here on Sunday. And of all the teams in the AFC, they're the ones to this point to not show very many flaws. I think you can look at Miami, Kansas City, Jacksonville, on down the line, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Cleveland, you name it, there are flaws, there are issues. With Baltimore, they're good. I mean, I watched them on Sunday against the Rams, and the Rams are a good NFC team, an average NFC team, and I was not impressed with the Baltimore defense. Now, the offense was spectacular. Special teams was very good. But I do wonder about this Raven defense moving in uh, to the latter stages of the regular season. I think it'll be a very interesting game for Jacksonville to gauge where they are against Baltimore on Sunday night. Yeah, I think it will, too. Um, in terms of the defense, um, you got got to give credit to uh, Sean McVay and the Rams offense and Matthew Stafford for having their best game of the season offensively. Um, in terms of Baltimore offensively, um, when we talk about the elite of the AFC and whatnot, I talked about this on my podcast, The Pump Fake, this past week, you know, in terms of teams that, you know, they're probably going to make the playoffs. They might win a playoff game. I don't see Baltimore as a Super Bowl contender. Like, Lamar Jackson's great. We know how good of a coach Harbaugh is and whatnot. But what are the, who are their weapons? Like, I don't, I like Zay Flowers, but if he's your predominant weapon and you're, you know, leaning on him heavily to defeat, Kansas City, if Buffalo gets in, Miami, like you got to do better than that. And who's your number two? Is it going to be Odell Beckham at this point in his career, who has had a few flashes, but he hasn't been like a legitimate top tier receiver in quite some time, probably since his final year with the Giants. So I don't think that they have the horses offensively to compete with uh, a team like a Miami if they face them. I don't, if I'm a Kansas City, like the Chiefs defense is far too good for any of the, the the Ravens' weapons to really excel, so they don't worry me against Kansas City. I think that this will be a good test for the Jaguars' defense just to see how they can stack up against this, you know, more than subpar uh, skill position group of Baltimore. Uh, defensively, they've had a, a really good season. Um, Mike McDonald has made the absolute most of this defensive core. Uh, and they don't really have, they don't have stars on that side of the ball really either outside of Roquan Smith. Like Justin Matabike has had a breakout season and he's about to get paid. Um, they utilize guys like Kyle Van Noy, who they signed this season. Uh, Jadevion Clowney has been a big part. So like they don't have like big game breaking names per se, but they're getting the most out of the personnel that they have. And that's a credit to Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator. Um, for Jacksonville, this feels like a game that they really need to win to avoid losing three straight. And for Baltimore, I mean, they're coming off a high of winning on a pump return in overtime. They're sitting at 10-3. and three. I do think that Jacksonville wins simply because of, you know, somewhat of a desperation factor. Not, not that if they lose that their season's done. Obviously, that's not the case. But you don't want to lose three straight in December, you know, when, when you're gearing up for a playoff run. So 
I think that we're going to see the very best of Jacksonville. And I do think that, you know, we're going to see their defenders, you know, especially the guys in the front seven that they really count on. You know, if you can get pressure on Lamar Jackson, if you can force mistakes, which we've seen teams that are capable of doing. We saw the Colts do it earlier this season. Um, if you can get pressure on Lamar, if you can force them to make mistakes, then your chances get exponentially higher of winning. And I think that Jacksonville can do that. Jared Bailey of the USA Today. Jaguar fans will love to hear that. I got to tell you. I'm not going to pick Jacksonville to win a primetime home game again until they do it because they lost to San Francisco. They lost a national showcase game to KC. They got embarrassed by Cincinnati. They're over in the, quote, showcase home games this year. You got another one against Baltimore. They got to prove it to me before I'll pick them again. Let me do a broad AFC talk with you, Jarrett. All right, so right now, and it's been this way now for a few weeks, Baltimore, Miami, Kansas City, Jacksonville are the division leaders. Is mm. there a scenario right now where you think one or two of those four will not win their division when all is said and done? I think the Miami is the one that strikes me as the one that's most likely to not win the division out of all of them. Um, I mean, first of all, how about the collapse that we just saw from the Dolphins against Tennessee? That was certainly something. Um and now, like, you can look at that as a Dolphins fan and say, I oh, mean, that's one that got away, but, you know, we're still sitting at the top of the division. Well, guess what? You got games against Dallas and Baltimore uh, in two of the next three weeks. Dallas and Baltimore back-to-back. They have the Jets this coming week, which is a game that they should win. But then it's the Cowboys and the Ravens. If you drop both of those games and Buffalo continues to run the table, guess what? Week 18 in Miami against the Bills is for the division. So the, that is a very real case scenario that takes place. Uh, if you're if you're the Miami Dolphins, even if they only um, e- even if they only lose, like, let's say that they beat Dallas, beat the Jets, but lose to Baltimore. Well, you have five losses now. And if the Bills keep winning, they have six. Then you lose the tiebreaker in the division. So their margin for error just got much smaller and they're going to need some help from the Cowboys. And they're going to have to rely on a Chargers team that's going to be starting East and stick to beat. Uh, uh, the Bills, and they ho- have to hope that Bailey Zappi can beat the Bills in that case too, which I don't think that it, that, that that's going to happen. So the margin for error for Miami just got much smaller because they couldn't hold a 14-point lead with less than three minutes left against a bad Titans team. And that could be uh, a game that really comes back to bite them in the butt. And if that does happen, then we could see Bills Dolphins in consecutive weeks in week 18 and the wild card round, except instead of being in Miami, it'll be in Buffalo for the wild card round. And we know how good Josh Allen is against the Dolphins in Buffalo. So there's in terms of like all the scenarios where we could see one of the division leaders not end up winning the division. I think that's the most likely one to happen because you look at the AFC North, the Steelers aren't good. The Browns are fun. Like, I enjoy what the Browns are doing, but I don't think they're going to be good enough to catch Baltimore. Jake Browning is also a very fun story. Don't think Cincinnati's catching Baltimore. Um, For, like, as good as uh, this run that the Broncos have been on, like, I don't think that there's enough power there for them to catch Denver either, or to catch Kansas City, even though they're only a game back. Um, I do think that Kansas City will, you know, kind of get their collective stuff together and still win the division. So, and then in the AAC South, I already talked about it, like, I don't think that Gardner Minshew is going to power the Colts to uh, to an AFC South title. Um, and I think that the loss of Tank Dell really hurts the Texans offense and chances of getting that done as well. So uh, I think Miami and the AFC East is the one to look at where they could, uh, I don't want to say crumble, but, you know, could end up, you know, having one of those costly losses that ends up biting them in the butt. And rather than hosting a wild card game, they have to travel on the road to a place that they haven't really been successful in the past half decade or so. And that could really turn the events of their season. 
Final moments, Jared Bailey, USA Today. So if we assume right now that the four division leaders are at least safe for playoff spots, that's Jacksonville, KC, Miami, and Baltimore, that leaves three spots up for grabs for seven teams that are all either seven and six or eight and five, which is insane. Who do you think at this point are the three best non-division winners that will get in? Um, in terms of what I think will happen on the wild card, I mean, Cleveland has eight wins right now and they're playing really well. Like Joe Flacco's come in and they've, they're playing the best offensive football they've played all year. So I think that Cleveland gets a wild card spot. I do think that Buffalo gets in. Um, beating Kansas City really just put a lot of life back into their playoff odds. And I just ran down the quarterbacks that they're going to be playing. Yes, they played Dallas this week. Um, that was a game that I think that they can and will win at home. And then you face Easton Stick and Bailey Zappi in the next two weeks. And then if they can get to, to 10 wins, I think that they're a pretty solid bet to at least get one of these spots. Um, and then it really comes down to, okay, is Denver going to keep rolling and be able to get to nine or 10? Uh, I don't think it's going to be Pittsburgh simply because I just think that the morale in Pittsburgh is just way too low right now in terms of the locker room, all the chaos of this season, veterans calling out uh, young players. Like it's just a complete total mess with the Steelers right now. So I don't think they end up getting in. If I had to say anybody for that seventh seed right now, I'd probably say Denver just because I trust Sean Payton and Russell Wilson more than I would trust a Jake Browning to keep doing this or more than I trust a Gardner Minshew to keep the, to keep the, the Colts season alive. I think Houston is also um, a team to watch for. So I think it'll come down to Houston and Denver. And if that's the case then Houston would get in, I, I believe over having the conference record and tiebreaker. So uh, my, if I had to bet now, I say Cleveland, Buffalo, and then hesitantly picking between the Texans and Broncos, I would say Houston. It's going to be a wild finish, no question about it. Hard to believe we still have a month to go in the regular yeah. season. There is a ton of football left. Jared Bailey of the USA Today. Jared, if I don't talk to you beforehand, have a happy holidays, happy new year, and I'm sure we'll be dialing your phone closer to playoff time. Hey, same to you, man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, and we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars now 8-5 and five after yesterday's loss in Cleveland as they set their sights on Sunday night football when they welcome in Lamar Jackson and the 10-3 and three Baltimore Ravens. With that, we welcome in my friend Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Brian, we're good. Thank you for the time. And all right, last time you and I talked, the Jaguars were 8-3, and three, coming off a yep. huge win in Houston, and all was right with the world. And here we are 14 short days later, 8-5, and five, and a lot of questions, Brian. But I guess, well, that's the National Football League for you. Well, it is. You can ask the people in Philadelphia or in uh, Kansas City today. You know, a couple weeks ago, those two teams played on Monday Night Football, and they billed it as a uh, – you know, a preview potentially of the Super Bowl. And, and now both of those teams have lost back-to-back -back leagues. It, it happens in the NFL. And look, I mean, you're a missed Brandon McManus field goal from being nine and four. Um, so I get it. The defense has some issues down the field and you don't feel like they're playing good football. And certainly they're not playing consistently on either side of the ball right now. And you've got all these injuries, but they're eight and five. A big home game this week, and I've been saying, look, if you win this week, you claim the AFC South. 
I know mathematically it won't completely be over, but you look at what's happening with the, the quarterback in Houston and you see the schedule they've got in front of them. And then you see that and the Colts are kind of smoking mirrors. They got to do it with defense, put Gardner Minshew in a specific spot where he can make a throw. It's just, if the Jags come out and win on Sunday and beat the Ravens, they will put the nail in the coffin for the AFC South and they'll own it. Brian, a couple of things jump out to me about yesterday's game that I want to throw at you. There's a couple negatives and a couple of positives. Let's begin with the negative. All right. right. Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones were thrown to 27 times apiece yesterday. They are their combined targets. My Wolfson High School math will tell me when only nine of those balls are completed, that means 66% of the time the ball went in Ridley or Jones' direction. It was incomplete. How troublesome is that? All right. Well, first of all, Wolfson High is a magnet school, so your math is pretty good. <laughs> um, I, here's where it's troubling. It's troubling to me from the Calvin Ridley perspective because on both of the interceptions, it appeared that he didn't know where he was going. It appeared as if he was out of a position. And it's no coincidence that when he played his best games with Zay Jones in the lineup, it was because he and Zay were collaborating on what was happening. It appears to me that there's some chemistry issues. I mean, it appears to everybody that there's some chemistry issues there. Um, the other thing that you mentioned about Zay Jones, look, I mean, Zay was playing on the opposite side of the field from Ridley yesterday because Christian Kirk is not involved right now, and I think that's a big deal. You know, modern football is about getting guys, playmakers like Ridley, in space and then asking them to beat their man one-on-one. It's kind of like basketball. you got to space the field correctly, and it really hurts that you don't have Christian Kirk out there right now. I mean, he's a guy that just – he is so dangerous, especially on third down, that defenses had to account for him. And safeties were looking for number seven yesterday. You saw it on that fourth down throw. They didn't have to look the other way. Didn't even pay attention to where Parker Washington was. They were, they were worried about Zay because of the propensity for the quarterback to go at number seven on critical third downs. And so not having Jones hurt – pardon me, not having Kirk – hurts Jones and Ridley, and then Ridley hurt himself yesterday on a couple of those routes where it just appeared, and I haven't talked to Calvin. He doesn't talk until Wednesdays. I know you're in the locker room. You'll hear it as well. But it appeared that he didn't understand where he was supposed to be. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. That's the negative. The positive, and it's unfortunate because the two losses have completely overshadowed this, Evan Ingram in two games is putting up numbers like Jimmy Smith used to put up. I believe he has 17 catches for 170-plus yards and three touchdowns. Brian, he's one of the best tight ends in football right now. Yeah, if you go and look at the numbers on tight ends, you will find that Travis Kelsey and and maybe Greg Kittle are these guys that have better numbers than he does. But he's already set the Jaguars' single-season receptions by a tight end, Mark. He said it last year, and he broke it yesterday. Uh, he is playing at a very, very high level, and it's a good thing. Because without him, I'm not sure where they'd be. They need him to open things up for, for Zay and for Ridley. He is such a, a, a problem. He is faster than most linebackers. He's bigger than safeties. And he's a guy with just this keen sense of the ball and where it's supposed to go. You know, he had some drops last season. And then, boom, had that Tennessee game in early December. And since then, he's been a complete monster for people to deal with. In the locker room yesterday after the game, it was him who had the most remorse for Christian Kirk because he understands that if Christian Kirk is on the field, he's even more dangerous because without Kirk, 
defenses are now going to say we're 17 because clearly 17 outside of the red zone, deep inside the red zone, no matter where he's at on the field, he's a problem. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, you know, Kirk is gone. Parker Washington, you mentioned him. Look, he's a sixth-round rookie who was hurt this year. I know he had the fumble yesterday. But I got to tell you, Brian, watching the game back this morning, a lot of sixth-round rookies to me would have tucked tail and said, you know, today's not my day after that fumble. That catch Parker Washington made for that touchdown, that's two weeks in a row. He's made big boy catches for touchdowns. They might have found something with Parker Washington. Well, I think they did. Look, those are the kinds of catches that, truthfully, Christian Kirk makes. But here's let, let, let me give you a completely different dimension. Most people haven't paid attention to it. So you say he's replacing a Pro Bowl caliber receiver in Christian Kirk. At the same time, he's replacing a Pro Bowl caliber return man in Jamal Agnew. He is not doing one big job for a sixth-round Ricky who was hurt. He is doing two. And yesterday he gave you a big 11-yard return, and he gave you one, what, 22, 23 yards as well. He is he's a good young player. And, yeah, he fumbled the punt. He had to fall on it against the Bengals. And he had to fumble yesterday because he's trying to do too much, trying to make a move to the outside and pick up a first down. But he's a really good, promising young player. And I mean to tell you, it's hard enough to throw a kid in there and say, hey, you got to be like 13. But to say you got to be like him and Agnew, it's a lot. And he's doing a pretty decent job at it. A couple more for Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. To me, the Parker Washington equivalent on the defense is Antonio Johnson. I'm at the point now, Brian, where I want to see more Antonio Johnson on the field. Well, I think you're going to. Doug Peterson said in his news conference earlier today that Andre Sisco is dealing with a groin, and those tend to be like hamstrings. They can linger. So I don't know that you're going to see him this week. Obviously, we're early, and, and that can change. Um, Johnson's a guy that they drafted, knowing there's only one more year on Rayshon Jenkins' contract and that Rayshon is going to get to the other side of 30 here. Um, he was drafted to be on the field with Andre Sisco. I mean, that's your safety tandem going forward. And you saw him on that blitz. And You know, I don't know whether people realize he's 6'3", and he's a 200-pound guy who plays big and long and – he, he again he's trying to figure it out he's missed a bunch of time with a hamstring injury that he suffered in training camp but he's starting to make his his presence felt had a couple of passes where he was in on it had a couple of big plays yesterday that weren't quite as big as the sack strip but still in their own right at the moment he made them the Jaguars defense really needed them you're going to see more from him and I think as you see more from him you're going to understand the vision for what that safety tandem should look like going forward And, Brian, look, I'm never going to be confused for being the most positive guy when it comes to the Jaguars. Goodness knows I get a lot of grief uh, from people. I've got that rule. Exactly. I've got that rule covered, yeah. You get a lot of grief saying you're too negative, this, that, and the other. But i got to tell you, in watching the game back yesterday or this morning and even back to last week against Cincy, two losses, and that sucks, and there's no sugarcoating that. But without Kirk, I mean, Kirk played one play of the last two games. The offense has scored 58 points. And yesterday, they turned it over four times. They left Cleveland tight ends wide open where they could fair catch touchdowns. I mean, the team played awful, and yet it's 31-27 against the Browns team that was 5-1 yeah. and one at home going into yesterday's game. Point See, being, I think you're going... they did not – I mean, they lost, but there is still things to be positive about. I was going to say, I think you're going down the right road here. Just consider for a moment that they were playing with a quarterback that none of us thought was going to play. They've got no practice time whatsoever. 
who had the backup to the backup to the backup, right? I mean, Walker Little is the backup. And two levels down the depth chart, you had Blake Hance trying to block all-world Miles Garrett. And he didn't do a bad job. Plus, you had Kirk, who was not in the game. I mean, let me tell you something. For them yesterday to make it a four-point game, having turned the ball over four times, that says something about the way that this team is coached and plays. They have a lot of ground to make up. They had a lot of mental mistakes. They shot themselves in the foot over and over and over. But it is not a stretch to say that if they only turned the ball over twice yesterday, they might win with all those injured players on the sidelines and a lot of backups out there. There's a lot of reason to think that this team still has an opportunity to make some noise in the postseason. Four games remain. I said if you win this one on Sunday, you're going to have a home playoff game. It's tough right now because you have back-to-back losses. But if you just take a deep breath and and look at some of the things from a big macro perspective, which, you know, to be completely honest with you, it's tough to ask fans to do. It's tough to ask them to see all the little things week in and week out. But if people can, can have a big-picture perspective on it, there are some reasons to think that they can get this thing going. In fact, I just asked Doug. Because he said yesterday in Cleveland in his postgame, we're not playing our best football at a time of the year where you want to be playing your best football. And my question was, is there enough time? With four games left, can you get to a place where you're playing good enough football to make some noise? He said, absolutely. But we can't hurt ourselves with the mental mistakes, the penalties, and the turnovers that we have the last couple of weeks. And I look at the AFC as a whole, and I know a lot of media markets are probably saying the same thing we are, and that's fine. There's 11 teams that are 7-6 and six or better right now in the AFC. Four of those teams aren't even going to make it. And when you look at the teams that will make it, you talk about a dominant team. Well, probably the most dominant is the team coming in here on Sunday in Baltimore, and yet they were an eyelash away from losing at home to a middle-of-the-pack NFC team in the Rams yesterday. So I think getting in, Brian, anything can happen because Kansas City is not Kansas City anymore. Miami no. is good, but anytime they play a team above 500, they get killed. Baltimore is good, but they have flaws. And then I think everybody else is right there in the middle. Look, the difference between, you know, the Bills and the Bengals, you know, those seven and six teams and the top are a couple of injured players. That's it. I don't think anybody really separates themselves in the AFC. There are dominant players, but there isn't a dominant team. I think the Jaguars are, are right where they belong, right? Squarely in the middle of this entire thing. They're not in the lead team. At their best, they approach that, but they're not there. They've got a ways to go on the back end of the defense where they're, you know, they're injured and they're giving up too many yards, too many big plays, too many broken plays. A couple of those touchdowns yesterday were just ridiculous. You know, guys being out of position or not even seeing where they were supposed to be in the case of Njoku's two touchdowns and David Bell's. They got to clean some things up, but are they squarely where they belong? Yeah, yeah. I think they're maybe they'd be a game better. Maybe they'd be nine and four and a little bit more cushion. But they're a team with some injuries. They're a team with some flaws. And as you just mentioned, if you get there, if you get a game that matches up with you at home, well, all right, game on. The '96 Jaguars, and I know people are going. There's the old man again, going back to '96. But they were four and seven. And they got hot. They were playing good football in December. And then they got some matchups that worked for them. They were able to take an advantage of and got to the AFC championship game. 
Could this team? Yeah, absolutely. Will they? Stay tuned. Final moments, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. I imagine Indianapolis and Houston are both kicking themselves. The Jaguars gave them an opening yesterday they were not able to take advantage of. Jaguars still the overwhelming favorite in the division, Brian. That, to me, is the goal, right? Expectations change as the season goes on. To me, the next month is all about winning the division and then letting the chips fall where they may. And that brings me to Baltimore. You and I okay. sat here 14 days ago talking about the national TVs are back. Cincinnati, Monday Night Football, another opportunity, and they lost again. That's San Francisco, KC, and Cincinnati that have all come in here in a primetime spotlight, if you will, and the Jaguars underperformed. Is there any reason to believe that things will be different on Sunday night? Sure. I mean, I'm the optimist. You know, you get home, you get Walker Little back, perhaps. You get some guys back into the lineup. You get a home crowd that's all fired up, and the quarterback who's a little bit more mobile, and they spend the week with Calvin Ridley making sure he's on the right page. All of a sudden, perhaps maybe you get the running game started. I know. The, the, all these things are if, if, if. But that's week to week in the NFL. If things work out. If you have a good week on the practice field. And let's be honest. They didn't last week. They didn't have the quarterback on the practice field last week. And so some of those errant passes were, you know, the ankle and the lack of precision based on practice. So if you get some of these things back, yeah, there's a reason to believe that they can step out on the field. And plus, I mean, you set yourself, the Rams, the Rams, who are middle of the pack, seven and 16 now, go in there and, and they got them pushed right to the ropes. Here's where the Ravens have an advantage over everybody. Their pass rush is fierce. I mean, their pass rush is far enough. They have more than 50 sacks with four games to play. They look fearsome. And you've got an offensive line that is mismatched right now. I mean, just kind of pieced together. That looks to be a real problem. But if the Jaguars get takeaways, right, like they did, and give short field scoring opportunities, sure, there's no reason to think they can't win. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, tell them what's coming up on Jaguars.com heading into the Baltimore game on Sunday. Jaguars AM, Jags wired, happy hour. I mean, it's it's full tilt ahead. I, I You know, this sounds like I'm bragging, but – we put a lot of content out there and a lot of time. The Hunt is coming out again with a new episode shortly. I wish I knew the date off the top of my head. I should have looked that up. I will next time. Um, there, there are a lot of cameras and a lot of microphones in this building. And, and Doug Peterson is very, very receptive to us telling the inside story of the team. And we do that, I think, uh, as well as any team in the league. So uh, if you want to know the story from a first-person perspective – uh, the hunt does it as well as anyone in the league. Brian, I know you're very busy on Mondays, man. Thank you for taking time out. We certainly appreciate it. Have a happy holidays, and we'll talk again soon. You got it. And thank you to Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. Again, the Jaguars and the Ravens. Sunday night, you'll hear it right here on 1010XL. My big takeaways of the evening – well, there is basically one. It's what we just mentioned, the Ravens at the Jaguars. I remember when home field meant something here in Jacksonville. It has not meant anything this year. The Jaguars are 2-4. and four. Their two wins came against Indianapolis and Tennessee. Nice division wins. But when you've played six home games and you've lost 66% of them, that is a problem. If you want to be considered an elite team, You've got to take care of home field. And the Jaguars simply have not done that. Embarrassing losses to Houston 
and San Francisco. Offense doesn't score a touchdown against Kansas City. And then the last home game against Cincinnati, Jake Browning comes in here and goes 32 of 37 for 350-plus. It has been awful at home. Can the Jaguars finally do something about that on Sunday night? Well, they need to because uh, if you're not going to protect home field any better than they've protected it this year, you're not going to do a whole lot in the NFL postseason, even with an AFC South division championship. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Thank you to Mike Huguenin. I call him the college football encyclopedia. He's covered college football for years. We always appreciate his perspective with us here on Hacker After Dark. Back in hour number one, thank you to Jared Bailey of the USA Today. Always enjoy talking Jaguars, AFC South, and more with Jared Bailey. And Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on primetime, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Friday to close out the week here on 1010XL beginning at 8 o'clock, and we do hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the Hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night to close out the week on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.